tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. I am Ben. That's our one and only super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Joined, as always, with my ride or die, the one and only Mr. Noel Brown. Yeah, today it's a little more die than ride. Just putting it out there. I got my COVID booster Uh uh, yesterday, and uh, I'm a little worse for the wear today, but I'm powering through for the Ridiculous Historians, and for you, Ben, and for you, Max. Taking one for the team. Here I am, wrapped in a blanket like a little old lady who lives in a shoe. And hopefully your blanket is bug-free. Today's episode is about bed bugs. Now, like many people uh, growing up, I did not have a ton of personal experiences with bed bugs. I ran into them. Like there was this very strange, somewhat ruthless mattress program at my Boy Scout camps because of the fear of bed bugs, I never actually saw bed bugs, and I thought they might even be kind of like a snipe and a snipe hunt until, <laughs> yeah, until I lived in Central America and in a couple of uh, the houses I stayed in, someone would take me to the side, you know, some sometime during like my first day there, and they would say, "Hey, when you sleep, make sure you sleep with your pants on tucked into your socks," mm. and I said, "Why?" And they just said, "Just do it." Turns out it was because of bed bugs, which were real. Yeah. <laughs> bed bugs are, in fact, real. Um, it's something if anyone, you know, grew, grew up living in New York City or has spent any time, you know, living in apartments in New York City might be aware of as certainly something to look out for. These things, they, they hop around too, right? Like they can hop off the bed onto you and, and vice versa. Um, they're almost like lice. I don't know. How do we describe uh, the, the, the common American bed bug? Well, it's a insect. It's, it's a common pest. They're very small. They're on the order of 
millimeters in size. It's like if they were a band, instead of being, and you will know us by the trail of the dead, they would be like, and you shall know us by the trail of the bites. Most people don't see bed bugs easily unless they're definitely looking for them or unless they're a lot in one place. But when you get the bites, it's hard to mistake them for anything else. We're talking skin rashes. Some people mm-hmm. have allergic symptoms, blisters. It's just overall unpleasant, and it can be really difficult to get rid of them, from my understanding. That's right. The bed bug uh, known officially as Cymex lectularius, they're tiny, flat, parasitic, blood-sucking insects. They feed on humans and animals while they sleep. They're opportunistic little buggers, aren't they? They're reddish-brown, they don't have any wings, and they uh, roughly, according to the CDC, uh, they are the size of Lincoln's head on a penny. Uh, and they can live with, for several months without any sustenance at all. So they, they like to feed on bear skin, typically, not like a bear skin rug, like bear human skin, uh, where there's no hair, because it's easier for them to get to. But like unlike ticks and you know lice and stuff, they are a little easier to spot because they don't burrow into areas covered in hair where you have a hard time seeing them. Right, exactly. They spend a lot of their lives in dark, hidden locations. Think like cracks in the wall. Think mattress seams. Uh, There's something really interesting, too. I don't know how far we'll get with it today, but infestations are pretty common. There's another species that's found primarily in the tropics, but the vampiric grift is the same all the world over. Mm -hmm. For some reason... Bed bug infestations have increased since the 1990s. Scientists still aren't sure why. All we know is that the global bed bug population has reached a record high, and everybody in the world today has managed to agree on one thing in these our divisive times. We hate bed bugs. Right. It's true. I think we can we can unite on that front. Uh, but that didn't used to be the case. Bed bugs actually used to be considered a potent form of medicine. That's right, medicine. And not just from their bites, specifically from like collecting them, grinding them up into some sort of powder or like a poultice, and then consuming it to treat things ranging from flu to fevers. Uh, It was even mixed with salt and breast milk in order to create a topical substance uh, to treat things like pink eye, eye eye infections. Really, really bizarre. It was uh, hugely popular and used for almost 1,500 years. Exactly, yeah. We know one of the earliest texts describing the medical application of bedbugs comes from a collection called De Materia Medica. Uh, they were ground up, the bedbugs, I mean, not this collection of texts, and consumed as medicine for millennia. During the 1500s, for instance, people would eat beans that had been stuffed with bedbugs as a way to cure malaria. Uh, spoiler, it's not the best malaria cure. And then they would mix bedbugs with tortoise blood to heal snake bites. People even thought the smell of bedbugs could have a curative effect. It could reverse cataracts, eliminate lethargy, cure earaches, and even get rid of kidney stones. Experts today believe that this weird chapter of medicine peaked in the 1700s when women were fed bedbugs in order to ease their quote-unquote symptoms of hysteria. And honestly, we found that little tidbit 
through a, an unexpected source, johnnybpestcontrol.com. Mm-hmm. So thanks so much, Full Johnny of useful B. information. Or specifically, John Bozargian, who wrote the article. But Ben, why? I'm sorry. Why? Where, where, where do they get this idea? Where do they get this wild notion? Why bed bugs? And uh, specifically, some of the materials they mixed it with. Uh, it just seems like a real stretch. Yeah, it's weird. To understand it, we have to understand the ancient enmity between human civilization and these little critters. Uh, It looks like, according to some research from scientists at Charles University in the Czech Republic, they did a genetic analysis of the bed bug. And from their findings, they estimate its origins may date back 245,000 years. If that number holds up, then that means that bed bugs could be older than modern humans are. And there's a ton of evidence from other parts of the world that shows us just how old this battle has been. Archaeologists in the 1990s found fossilized bed bugs at a 3,550-year-old site in Egypt. They're name-checked in ancient Greek plays. They're even mentioned in the Talmud. It's nuts. People have been like, bed bugs have been an irritating topic of conversation for a long, long time. Even like people try to cast spells against bed bugs, which I think is cool. There was, there's this interesting thing though, because, you know, um, there's this, uh, this trope in a lot of ancient medicine where, where the assumption is one can take something that is harmful and through certain rituals or through certain, you know, treatments, you can turn it into something helpful. And I believe that's what happened with bed bugs. There's a really great article on mental floss by Brooke Borrell called Seven Infested Facts About Bed Bugs. And uh, on that, we learned about the spells that the um, ancient Egyptian pharaohs would try to have cast on the little guys. We learned that the ancient Greeks would actually try to lure the bugs out to um, other flesh by actually tempting them with uh, a hair or a stag feet in their bed. So essentially tying severed animal parts to their bed frames in the hopes that the uh, bed bugs would jump onto them instead. In the 1800s and 1900s, as we know, a problematic era for using, you know, carcinogenic chemicals uh, to solve problems, we used really, really nasty sprays uh, made of arsenic and mercury um, and um, super toxic fumigants like cyanide gas. So we were really, you know, meant business. Like, we didn't care if we killed ourselves in the process as long as we got rid of the bed bugs. Um, Even baseball bats was a thing. (laughs) <laughs> like that's like taking it a step further than the fly swatter. Uh, they were blowtorched, drenched with gasoline, set on fire. Um, and according to a recommendation from a book from the late 18th century called The Complete Vermin Killer, washing bed frames with wormwood and hellebore boiled in a, quote, proper quantity of urine was the way to go. Yep, boiling in urine. Uh, that was considered a, a legitimate approach. And it feels kind of scorched earth, honestly. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger 
they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to that question in the medicine here. What made people believe bedbugs, whether their odor or their corpses, had medicinal uses? Well, we have to understand that for a long time, the world of medicine was a guessing game that came out of longstanding natural traditions and also came out of spiritual beliefs, right? Medicine and magic or spirituality were inextricably intertwined for a very long time. and because people were trying new solutions, almost everything was at one point or another an unorthodox or out of the box solution. And totally. we've got, yeah, we've got a list of things that don't uh, that you wouldn't hear a doctor say today. But I assure you, ridiculous historians, these were common, real things. People used to think yogurt would uh, prevent you from becoming old. People mm-hmm. used to think, uh, you know. A good a good dose of heroin would help with your cough. Opium would Sounds help good. With, with your asthma. <laughs> um, you could wear a belt that would, if you were impotent, you could wear a belt that would give you electric shocks. And uh, if your throat was sore, why not uh, snarf down some dog poop? True story. Ooh. 
Ooh, no, thank you. Um, and, you know, unless it definitely works, then I'm totally game. Uh, this was also, wasn't this kind of the era of John Harvey Kellogg? Um, you know, the founder of the Kellogg uh, company, cereal company, but he was known for his uh, unorthodox treatments. Like, I think he would give people yogurt enemas, uh, presumably because he thought it would do something good for their, you know, their health. And that would have been a later use of this kind of stuff. But these remedies have been around uh, for a long time. And, and even today, people use holistic remedies that some <clears throat> from more traditional medical backgrounds might, you know, look askance at. But uh, it's the power of belief is a, is a hell of a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Just like when my uh, GP told me that I could cure my malaise by walking witter shins uh, around a yew tree during solstice, you know. And I was like, okay, I'll try aspirin first, but I appreciate the hustle. Uh, yeah, so, you go to you go to you go to Doctor Merlin as well. I uh, yeah, I, I actually go to Doctor Acula. Um, mm-hmm. He sucks. So <laughs> I love the way he holds his hand, though. It's really spellbinding. Yes, <laughs> yes. Thank you, thank you, Max. More <laughs> of it. Uh, so we we know that if you got sick in the actual first century, like first century CE you needed to be less of a picky eater than normal because mm-hmm. one cure for the flu or what we would call the flu now, generally any bad fever, uh, according to the physicians of the time, was this idea of mixing bed bugs with stew. Seven if you're an adult, four if you're a child. The quote is actually, instructions for preparing chemises of ye bed. <laughs> which is what they called bed bugs. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Put them in meat with beanies and swallow it down before the feet as a remedy for sweating sickness. That's again, that's from that uh, book we mentioned earlier, De Materia Medica. Isn't sweating sickness malaria, basically? I believe that's correct. Yeah, I believe I it's that's at least right. one term for malaria. For sure. I feel like I've got sweating sickness right now. But unfortunately, I don't have any uh, bed bugs. Later, I'm just going to have to sleep it off. But it's true. I mean, if you were not able to, you know, suck this stuff down, you could be shamed by the local apothecary. Um, and that would be no good. You'd be ostracized in the community for not taking your medicine. Uh, let's say that you had something known as scabs of the privity, the privities, uh-huh. uh, a.k.a., you know, uh, sensitive area uh, scabs. Bed bugs were apparently quite effective. Uh, also, like we said, they were used for eye infections when mixed with salt and, uh, and, and quote, women's milk. For about 3,500 years, bed bugs have been like the mortal enemies of, of humans. If they were to be found in a home today, it could absolutely cause uh, some serious panicking. Like, you know, uh, it's gross. It's like when your kid comes home from school with lice. It makes you feel like you're dirty or something like that. It's got a stigma around it uh, in, in our society. Paranoia, you know, like like calling up. What was that bug man's name? Uh, I'm going to call him Johnny, Johnny B. B. Call up Johnny B uh, because this is serious business. But, you know, if you look back further to ancient history, you really do see that these physicians believed in the power of these parasites, even while simultaneously, you know, being fearing them in some way. They were considered this kind of cure-all until in the last years of BC that concept started to wane. I guess my question is like, what an odd choice just out of nowhere. Like, it was there, there's no truth to any of this. So how do they all of a sudden be like, yeah, that's the one. There's a, there's tons of other bugs they could have used. Why the bed bugs? Well, again, there is this uh, there's this trope you see in ancient medicine, this belief that you, one can take 
something that would ordinarily be dangerous and with the proper preparations or rituals in the world of ancient medicine, uh, you could make it curative. The idea that some variety of the poison, uh, to put it one way, could contain the antidote. Sure. It's like if you uh, take just a little bit of snake venom over a period of time, it could potentially defend you against snake bites. Or you could take a little bit of like a virus into your body and you might feel a little ill, especially while you're recording yeah. a podcast. And it's a really good, it's uh, a really good point, Max. Yes. <laughs> we're yeah. not, so, we're not so different, you and I, and then I'm speaking to the ancient, uh, the ancient Greeks. Some of these preparations though, border on the insane. This here's one from a medical advice um, poem, in fact, mm-hmm. uh, called the, by the, by the physician uh, Quintus Serenus. Samonicus, and he said, shame not to drink the wall lice mixed with wine, wall lice. That's the first. I like that. And garlic brews together at noonday. A specific time again. Yeah, uh-huh. Moreover, a bruised wall louse with an eggy repine, not for to take this loathsome, yet full good, I say. <laughs> All right, Yoda. This yeah, repine. Uh, repine means to feel. Uh, means to worry, to feel or express discontent. So it's like fretting. So don't repine, which is weird because it might sound a little close to recline, lay back. So it can be confusing. Or, or, or opine, which is to uh, express uh, an opinion, right? Or supine or lupine. Uh, yeah. So we know that according to Pliny the Elder, who by the way was a huge proponent of bed bug as medicine your preparation would depend upon the sickness you were trying to treat. Uh, And we don't have to get too into the nitty gritty grossness of this, but we do need to note that pharmacopoeia we mentioned, Dam Materia Medica, in a very real way became a precursor to Western pharmacology. It would go on to influence medicine for like the next 1,500 years. And that's why some of these kind of wackadoo bed bug medicine ideas continued to be practiced in Europe for centuries. They even get mentioned in later pharmacopias like Treasury of Health. You would think that as the centuries progressed, people would eventually say, hey, bed bugs can't cure cataracts just due to their smell. But medicine did not progress as steadily as some other human pursuits. So these bed bug cures for things like vomiting, ear infections, even snake bites would still be mentioned in later medical text. And we mentioned that trumped up pseudo medical condition, quote unquote, female hysteria, which mm, medicine, wandering womb. Yeah. yeah. Medicine held on to for far too long. And so. There was a religious aspect to this in the Middle Ages. We get this from Lisa Sarasone, uh, who was at Oregon State University historian who was, uh, at the time of this interview, writing a book about the history of vermin. And she said that in earlier days, having bedbugs was seen as a sign of dirtiness. Fine, get it. But she says it was also seen sometimes as a sign of holiness because the mortification of the flesh was like an imitation of Christ and people Ooh. thought that was kind of a good thing. Okay. All right. I know. It feels like huh. a stretch, but this is also the heyday of flagellance. So yeah, with the with, 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 like you're talking about where you like beat yourself over the back yes, and then wore that yeah. like hair shirt that mm-hmm. would just like uh, uh, irritate the the wounds for the rest of the day. 
So we've seen, you know, physicians talk about this being an effective way of curing everything from the flu to bedwetting. In fact, um, there was one particular uh, physician that uh, actually described it like this. His name was Conrad Gessner, um, and he said that bed bugs bites and stings will, quote, provoke urine as a diuretic and stop children's water that goes from them against their wills. So it's another miracle cure for, for bedwetting because nobody wants to nobody wants to wake up in a in a in a wetted bed. Um, right. But we do start to see the tide turn a little bit against bed bugs as a cure because the focus began to shift more to them as a sign of, you know, uncleanliness, right? Yeah, a sign of being lower class. So back to back to our historian, uh, Dr. Sarasone, who says that Nobody wanted bedbugs in their bedroom and common attitudes toward parasites, bedbugs in particular, began to change in the 1700s as Europeans came into contact with people from other parts of the world. They said, you know what, we don't want to be around parasites. And so <laughs> they began using parasites as a way to dunk on any people they didn't like. She points out that the English of the time thought the Scots were riddled with lice, and they started calling Scotland Liceland, uh, mm. which, which is petty. It's, not nice. it's petty enough that it gives me a chuckle, though. And, Are you uh, kidding me? The English were just taking a big old sh on Scotland. I've never seen that before in history. I know it's an <laughs> unprecedented time. And, and I feel like we now we officially owe the people of Scotland an episode all their own. Uh, we're with you, folks. And the first exterminators that said they could explicitly get rid of bedbugs actually do come about in this time period in the 1700s. And their recipes for how to get rid of bedbugs were, to be fair, just as strange sounding as the recipes people used in bedbug medicine. One example from Atlas Obscura is this recipe that says, okay, if you get rid of, here's the way you get rid of bed bugs. Use the smoke of cow dung and rotting cucumber and ox scale combined Ooh. with vinegar, droppings from a roasted cat with egg yolks and oil to form an ointment that you can rub onto furniture. This is like some double-double toil and trouble kind of stuff. I know, I'm saying. Silly eye of newt, you know? Wing of bat, roasted cat? Whoever heard of that? I'm sorry, my, my fever is causing me to rhyme spontaneously. I just feel like this is like, you know, the person who would be trying this would have just tried to like douse, like, you know, like wasn't there a cure that like involved mixing it all with urine, like and stuff? Yeah. Surely, yeah. So the room's going to have like human urine and now cow dung and then rotting cucumbers. And it's like, no. Is it, is, it a worth, is it a worthwhile trade-off is what you're asking, I think. Like, give me the bug bites. Uh, it's not yeah. that big a deal. Yeah, uh, I don't want to smear myself with, with you know animal feces and you know drink ground up you know insects and stuff. I mean, it's like you know, come on. Yeah, but here's my question. Nowadays, we talk about things in terms of like staples, right? Like, what are the staple ingredients uh, that you would normally find in a kitchen or household cleaners or whatever? And this makes me wonder what the household staples of Middle Ages Europe were? Were they like, was someone like, oh yeah, roasted cat. Okay, yeah, ox dung. Honey, do, are we out of ox dung? 
I can't believe we just picked up some ox poop earlier. This is well, they, they likely would have had a family ox. They could have just gone and procured some of its dung from from you know the barn area. I assume the roasted cat is disturbing though. Yes, yeah, I don't like that. I want it at all. I think I think it's three cat lovers. We don't like that one at all. I just got a six pack of roasted cats. This is oh. perfect. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So anyhow, uh, now we go across the pond when Europeans started to traverse the Atlantic en masse, they brought a bunch of other stuff with them. They, and a lot of it unintentionally, they brought diseases, they brought bed bugs, they brought, um, the rats, the roaches that would always infest ships. And this is not to say that 
these kinds of creatures did not exist in other parts of the world. It's just uh, it's just known that their hygiene wasn't the same kind of hygiene you would see on a modern cruise ship, for instance. So the bedbug family does have a lot of species. We're primarily talking about those two that we mentioned at the top. But according to Robert Snetzinger, uh, professor emeritus of entomology at Penn State University, According to him, experts still aren't sure whether it was the infamous Cymex lectilarius or one of its related cousins that came with Europeans across the Atlantic. But there's something interesting. There's a little mystery here. Lou Sorkin at the American Museum of Natural History says that there's no Native American word for bedbugs, no indication of it. So this to him, is a compelling, if not 100% foolproof argument that bedbugs are a colonial thing, or that's how they got to North America. Ah, I love solving a good history mystery. It's still rhyming. It's all I can do to stay alive. I got to rhyme. Got to keep the rhyme going. So as we said, these little guys are some of the biggest opportunists of the insect community, and they absolutely thrived in the new world, um, particularly after the railroad happened because, you know, they were just being transported all over the place and they could find new homes. In the days before cars and planes, you had uh, salesmen uh, and business travelers that would, you know, go door to door selling their wares and all that, staying in these uh, kind of flea bag motels. That's probably where the name came from. Uh, they were yeah. near train stations and they essentially became these like hubs for the distribution of bed bugs to people's actual homes. Yeah, it's exactly right. And the prevalence of bed bugs as this rose, as they became more common and, uh, Unfortunately, more familiar to people across the U.S., the popularity of bedbug cures also went into a steep decline. Lice and bedbugs were still kind of homemade folksy attempts at curing things like tumors and goiters in the late 1800s. But the medical experts of the day were less and less likely to treat this as solid medicine. In fact, most bed bug research at this point pivoted to figuring out the best ways to get rid of these jokers. You know, smoke them out with peat fires, sterilize furniture with boiling water this time, not urine, and scattering plant ash, uh, fumigating with cyanide, which feels a little extreme. Unfortunately, that type of treatment, which was prevalent in the 1920s, resulted in numerous deaths of humans, not just bed bugs. And that's, again, according to Snetzinger. And he discusses all that in his book, which you can get uh, called The Rat Catcher's Child, The History of the Pest Control Industry. Once the 1940s came along, pesticides like DDT were used and they could kill typhus and, and malaria carriers like mosquitoes during World War II, which is very important. Um, they also proved to be very useful in the fight against bed bugs and their numbers really took a dive for about 30 years. Then we, we kind of came into what we would call the golden era for America's mattresses. Yes, there was a time where you wouldn't see two mattress firm stores right across the street from each other anywhere you go. Uh, still don't understand why that's a thing. It's a grift. Um, but it is a total grift. But um, 
the Environmental Protection Agency outlawed uh, the use of some of these chemicals for health and environmental reasons and other uh, insecticides that uh, were very useful in you know squashing down this bug epidemic were also uh, banned. Things like uh, chlorodane and diazinon that happened in the 1980s. So what happens? You got these little resilient bed bugs uh, starting to kind of poke their heads up again. Um, it has absolutely made a comeback. Yeah, yeah. And people are traveling internationally way more often in this period of history, uh, you know, excluding the pandemic times. The idea that these parasites could heal people didn't completely go the way of the dodo, however. In 2002, the authors of a book called Ask the Bug Man, a pest management guide, found an unexpected repository of ancient Greek medical knowledge in the Midwest. They found that in some parts of Ohio, even in 2002, eating seven bed bugs mixed with beans is was still considered a cure for chills and fever. That's the exact number of bugs recommended in the ancient De Materia Medica. And it's it's interesting because, again, these cures might seem really strange, at the very least, if not laughably gross. But that human terror of bedbugs was kind of what drove them to turn to bedbugs for relief. There had to be some way in which these creatures' presence and their biting and their tormenting made sense. So they had to find some use for them. It just turned out, and we can say this uh, pretty conclusively, that a lot of these treatments are not on, <laughs> I'm trying to be diplomatic, they're not on the level of modern medicine. This is not medical advice, but what we can say for sure is go to your doctor if you are concerned about some of these conditions. And you know what? If your doctor tells you that you need to do some weird stuff with bed bugs to get better, then tell us about it because we would love to hear it. I want to hear, you know, somebody's GP say like, well, uh, I'd say you need about seven bed bugs to do the job here. Grind them up with beans. I recommend garbanzo, maybe a little uh, a little white northern bean. And but really quickly back to Thomas Muffet, um, who was a 16th century medical enthusiast and writer. Um, also, apparently the uh, source of the Little Miss Muffet nursery rhyme, right. or at least the inspiration for it. He had a quote that I think is really telling about the exact thing we were talking about, the attitude of how the idea of consuming something dangerous, you know, has its like, you know, uh, appeal, right? He said, uh, by the conduct of nature hath produced nothing that in some part is not good for man. And therefore that which the comedian God thought hurtful, man's posterity hath found beneficial. Mm -hmm. So there you go. And with Muffet. Muffet. And with Muffet, I think we will uh, call it a day I believe it's safe to say all three of us were very surprised to learn that bed bugs were once considered a go-to source of medicine, but there are stories we didn't get to that we might get to in the future. Uh, the U.S. Army weaponized bed bugs, trying to use them as bloodhounds in the field of war. And it turns out that bed bugs have uh, sensitivity to certain colors, and it is their time to shine because since the 1990s, these little guys have been on a roll. Uh, Max, I believe, maybe we do it this way. I believe you said you had a uh, some personal experience in the trenches of the bed bug war. 
Oh, oh yes. I, I, I see you remembered. I mentioned that. Yeah. Um, I have never actually personally had bed bugs, but you know, in my younger and maybe dirtier days, I had something similar called carpet beetles in my bed. Carpet beetles? Yes. That sounds scary, dude. That sounds bigger. They are. <laughs> Don't get them. Keep okay. your stuff clean. <laughs> All right. Well, that is good advice. And we'll have to uh, go offline maybe and learn a little bit about the, the terrifying reign of carpet beetles. In the meantime, thank you so much, one and only super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Thanks to Casey Pegram. Noel, thank you so much for hopping on. Uh, you know, I have good news. I hear that the uh, the the booster blues, as I call them, are relatively short-lived. So hopefully... Uh. It'll be like a 24-hour bug, not a bed bug. Just Oh, thank God. Well, it started in the middle of the night, so hopefully I'm halfway there. Um, but I actually have a pretty light day today, so I'm going to go cuddle up and listen to some podcasts. Yeah, there's nothing like listening to a good podcast. We're a little biased, but this is the part where we thank you, fellow Ridiculous Historians. We can't wait to hear your bed bug stories. We hope nobody has bed bugs right now. And... Um, Please consult an actual doctor for medical conditions. Please consult an actual exterminator for tips on getting rid of bed bugs. Don't boil poop and urine just yet. Uh, thanks, of Please course. Please, God, no. Yeah. Please, God, no. Yeah. Uh, and thanks, of course, to our number one favorite bed bug of the show, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister. We have got to get him back on the air. Time is coming. Indeed. Indeed. Um, he's our like human bed bug kind of. No, that's not nice. He's, he's better than that. Um, he's more of a carpet beetle type figure. <laughs> but thanks to him, nonetheless. Thanks to Christopher Hasiotis and Eves Jeffcoat here in Spirit. Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Uh, Gabe Luzier, the homie. Um, who else? So many people to thank. I feel like I'm doing an acceptance speech at an awards, but you know I'd what? like my to thank Kanye. I'd like to thank myself. Um, mm -hmm. I'd like to thank. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, shout out to Gabe. Uh, big announcement. We'll have this too when Gabe joins on the show uh, coming up. He is now the host of this day in history class mm -hmm. so do That's check true. it out we're super excited we're super proud of him uh you've heard him on the show before so i uh, can't wait to hear what you think about his about his newest endeavor check it out we'll see you next time folks for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.